Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Chunky Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We rollin'! What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes checking in on you on a Thursday morning here. It is fight week. And for all you geeks out there, may the 4th be with you. All right, so on today's show, we're going to discuss the latest news in mixed martial arts, as well as continue our preview of UFC 288, which takes place this Saturday in Newark, New Jersey. We got a title fight at the top of the bill with Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. And of course, Goes and I will be hosting a watch along on Saturday, as we always do for the UFC pay-per-views, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific is the start time for the four featured prelims on the fight card, followed by the five fights on the pay-per-view. And, of course, the the, uh, pay-per-view is, you know, where some of you might drop off. (laughs) There's been a lot lately with BKFC and some boxing and the WrestleMania last month. Well, I guess WrestleMania is no longer a a pay-per-view, but still. Uh, if you choose not to get it, we understand. It won't be your eyes and ears, and we can tell you what's happening in real time. And if you decide to get it, then just watch along with us. All right. So that and a special treat, Rich Franklin will join us as well on the show. He is a UFC Hall of Famer. He was a former UFC middleweight champion. Basically, he preceded Anderson Silva in the uh, middleweight pecking order. Let me go backwards here. It goes Izzy, Pajeda, Izzy, uh, Whitaker. Who did Whitaker be? I think Whitaker jumped in there because uh, somebody retired. <laughs> Holy cow. Anyway, yeah. Well, you, you just keep going backwards, and I, I guess there was a Wyman and a Rock hold in there somewhere, uh, and then eventually Anderson Silva and Rich Franklin. So there you go. I should I should know this stuff, so I'm not to go in there and see uh, where I I messed up. But uh, anyway, oh GSP, that's right. GSP had one from missing, and then he retired, and that's when they had to fill that void. Anyway, we'll start the show, and I'll see if I can get my act together and pull up the actual lineage of the middleweight dude. So, are you curious about the UFC middleweight uh, lineage? Sure. Might as well go all in at this point, right? Since I brought yeah. it up, since I'm a big old pie hole. In 2001, Dave Minet defeated Gil Castillo at UFC 33. Marilla Bustamante defeated Dave Minet. Evan Tanner defeated David Terrell. 
And I guess what happened was Bustamante had left for, oh, no, defended versus Matt Lindland and then vacated. He went to Pride, as you all know. He's part of Brazilian top team. If you want to connect the dots, Big Nog, Little Nog, Ricardo Arona, and some of the other guys. Uh, I guess Anderson Silva eventually, although Anderson Silva started with um, Shootbox at one point. Then we get to Evan Tanner. He defeated David Terrell. Uh, Rich Franklin defeated Evan Tanner, the late Evan Tanner. That's an interesting story, folks. If you ever want to just pick a figure in our sport to kind of read up about, read up about Evan Tanner and his, I guess, his place in the sport and what he tried to do. He tried to really help some fighters and create a fighter house back in the day. He was an adventurer guy, and then eventually it is believed that he basically took his own life, albeit a different way, by basically pushing the limits of nature and just getting out there and almost not wanting to come back. But um, he was pretty beloved. Um, anyway, Franklin defeated him. Anderson defeated Franklin. Weidman defeated Anderson. Rockhold defeated Weidman. Bisping defeated Rockhold. There you go. That's what I was missing. GSP defeated Bisping. Yeah, GSP defeated Bisping. Whitaker defeats Joel Romero to win the interim title because St. Pierre vacated. And then Izzy beats Gastelum for the interim title. Uh, Izzy then uh, defeats Robert Whitaker to become the undisputed. Pajeda defeats Izzy. Izzy defeats Alex Pajeda. Wow, a lot's gone down in the middleweight division. Yeah, for sure. Who's your Mount Rushmore middleweights? Oh, man. Of just the UFC or all mixed martial arts? Well, I guess both, but yeah, UFC. Hmm. Israel Adesanya, Anderson Silva, those two are must. That leaves two more spots. You know who surprisingly, I got to go back and look at stats, but I wouldn't be shocked if somebody like a Gegard Mousasi kind of slipped in there with all the the thing, because he's won a belt, well, he's won two belts. And he's got well, one of them wins. was the light heavyweight belt at Strike Force. That was like, oh, that's right, huh? King Mo took that off of him, right? Right. Mm. Henderson so won one belt. Was a middleweight champ. It was a welterweight champ at Pride, which is the same as being the middleweight champ in the UFC. And then he was a Strike Force light heavyweight champion. But you got to go through like a lot of where was most of the damage done for him. You know what I mean? That one's that's the first one that came up, but I'd have to see where most of the, the damage was done because we're just looking at middleweight, right? Rockhold won the strike horse and UFC middleweight belt and beat Weidman. Weidman does have three wins, though. Oh, sorry, three title defenses, whereas Rockhold has one. Franklin, I believe, had two title defenses. Um, I don't know. That, that one's one that you and I were going to give ourselves the assignment. And when we report to duty, probably next Thursday, we're going to reveal our middleweight um, Mount Rushmore of all time and then the UFC middleweight Mount Rushmore. So the, the UFC one, you had to have accomplished most of your stuff in the UFC, obviously. And then the other one will allow for the strike force and Bellators and Prides of the World to maybe chime in. But this will be a little interesting assignment that we'll give each other. Um, Bisping... I have a problem with because he's got good wins, 
but man, there are quite a few that I just don't feel like are wins. Mm-hmm. So that that one's rough. But you know what? I can I can maybe comfortably say right now, just thinking, mm-hmm. if you're doing Mount Rushmores and all that, is the middleweight division the worst division of all the divisions? If you go through history, because think about how easy it is to do like heavyweight, light heavyweight, uh, lightweight, featherweight, like. I don't know that the quality of middleweights have been up to par as far as all the other divisions are concerned. I think it's ahead of welterweight. Welterweight's got some studs. Well, Hughes, GSP, Camaro, and Tyron all had at least four title defenses. Well, then there's Shamrock and Militech. I take it back. I take it back. You're right. Um... Hmm. I was going to say only because Matt Sarah snuck in there and Leon Edwards is yet to really prove himself, I guess, currently. But maybe Flyweight is one of the, No, they got Demetrius Johnson flexing for him. The Vanaweights have Dominic Cruz. The Middleweights have Anderson Silva. I don't know. Don't give us another assignment, though. We'll stick to this one All first, right. and then we'll figure that one out. All right, folks. You, have you seen any of the three embeddeds? Is it doing anything to sell pay-per-views? You and I are in. The hardcores that listen to the show, they're in. Go figure it out one way or another. We're all going to watch it. But are those guys appealing to the audience for this Saturday's card, Cejudo and Sterling? They're kind of nice guys, but they kind of throw shade at, at each other a little bit. Muhammad and Burns, nice guys, not too much shade. Um I don't know. I feel like it is fight week, but for a Thursday, it's not popping yet. I saw the first one. Um, what I can tell you is this. You know what somewhat sold me on it? If I'm going, if I'm putting on the pants of a of a fan. Last week during the uh, the UFC and a little bit during, I think it might have been hockey or some or baseball. They kept playing this like uh, this promo for it, and it looked like they put a little bit more effort into it. You know, we're always talking about how Triple Triple C is always saying they don't they didn't promote me as much. Aljamain Sterling kind of says the same thing, but they actually gave them uh, not just like a stock song. They gave them a, like a, a cool one. I can't remember which one it was. Um, it seemed like they put a little bit more into that one, and that one, believe it or not, got me a little bit more pumped up. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as I've only seen one embedded and it was kind of the same stuff you see all the time. I'm not there yet. If I'm a casual fan, especially with everything going on, because playoffs on both sides, hockey and basketball have been phenomenal so far. So yeah, I'm still not there yet, but, but the main event is kind of what pulls you in. What this card is missing and Cejudo and Sterling could possibly have double dipped a little bit right and and served its its own purpose we're missing the that featured bout that has a little bit of heat in it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i'm going to give you an example let me pull it up real fast but this will kind of i'll go back a few years probably about four four years to this one let me pull it up here it was ufc here we go 
UFC 239 in Las Vegas. Here's the main event. John Jones versus Thiago Santos. Hey, it's John Jones for crying out loud against the hard-hitting Thiago Santos. Should be good. Santos wasn't really a trash talker. Jones is just Jones. And then the Coleman event, you had Amanda Nunez versus Holly Holm, arguably the GOAT of, M of male MMA and the GOAT of female MMA. Maybe not even arguably. That was just it, right? Two title fights. But guess what we had goes hmm. for the rest of the card? Jorge Mazadal versus Ben Askren. This is the one where they were needling each other. It was the featured bout. There was some trash talk going on. And so this was supporting the two uh, title fights, which kind of speak on their own. Whether the champs want to talk trash or not, they speak on their own. They stand on their own. But this one is like, you know, this one's kind of moving the needle a little bit. To be fair, you also had Jan Blachowicz versus Luke Rockhold and Michael Chiesa versus Diego Sanchez. And so where is that on this card? Thank you, UFC, for saving us and giving us Gilbert Burns versus Walla Muhammad. But thank God you did because we lost Mozart Evloev versus Bryce Mitchell, which really wasn't getting too animated, to, to tell you the truth. But um, th this card really, like, they patched it together at the very end. Those two welterweights, I salute them for going five rounds and um, being there. But now we drop off to Jessica Andrade and Jan Jonan. Crone Garrisi versus uh, Charles Jordan, and I will leave filling in for that other fight that I mentioned will be Diego Lopez versus Mozart Evloev. So, you know, it's, come on, man. Andrade versus Jan Jonan, I accept because they are quality strawweights. Mozart Evloev undefeated, but not a lot of people know a lot about him, and maybe Mitchell was going to be the one that brought more eyeballs to it. Who knows? But Crone Gracie, who hasn't fought in four years against Charles Jordan, I don't know, man. Like, the pay-per-views pay need to be more stacked than this. Here's the other thing you have to take in consideration is about, well, one week ago, we all shelled out money for BKFC. And a week before that, we all shelled out money for boxing, right? Mm-hmm. So we're already in the hole, right? The uh, I'm not one of these guys, but the, the married man, um, when the wife says, so what are you doing this weekend? He's going to have to say, I'm spending another $80 and I'm spending another eight hours away from you. That's got to be worth something, right? Because she's going to counter back with, and you're also taking out the trash, mowing the lawn, taking the kids to this, doing that. So whatever uh whatever's on the other side of that has to be worth it and i don't know if this card is worth it i think maybe that married guy goes ah fuck it i'll i'll go to the recital i'll go take the kid to the soccer game you know that's sort of i can't get out of this one it's not worth it um you've you've already spent a lot on combat sports that aren't the ufc and we're also following a card that was dookie last week Except for the main event, I wasn't too excited about much. Even with Kyle Barrio going 4-0 in the UFC, 14-1 overall, or whatever he is, I just it was not a sexy card at all. I was only looking forward to the Vanderweights because I love me some Vanderweights. But that card was dookie. And so then this one following it, <laughs> honestly, they should have they just had last week off 
and just brought over Song Yadong and Ricky Simone to this card, and Kyle Guile Barrio versus Mikhail Olenechek or wh whoever, mm -hmm. maybe uh, Waldo Cortez against uh, the other cat, Marcos Rogero de Lima. Bring them over as well. Maybe 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 the top three fights over there. Bring them over to the UFC 288, and let's just run with it. Um, also, this weekend is Canelo Alvarez, by the way. There's a lot of people sure. that love boxing and MMA, and some people might choose to spend it on Canelo Alvarez. So this, this is a poor showing from the UFC. Not poor, but average showing from the UFC. Um, and it's Thursday, and I, I'm not as excited about it. And I, I, the casual fans that I'm throwing it to, my family and friends on social media, they're not biting back. They're not asking me the questions they normally do. Who you got, G? You got a parlay for us? Who do you think will win? They, 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 it's like they've tuned out. So that that I think has a little bit to do with the fact that um, it's just it's not as stacked of a card. Yeah. Um, Sterling doesn't sell yet or at all or much or however you want to categorize it. Cejudo maybe does in a way, but he's also been gone for three years. Like, hmm, I don't know. Whatever. It's taking place on Saturday, and once the bets are being thrown out there, trust me, we'll be into it. So join us on Saturday for our watch-along, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We'll be there to call nine fights, including Marina Rodriguez versus Verna Jandaroga, Chaos Williams versus Rolando Bedoya, Kennedy and Chuck Wu versus Devin Clark, Drew Dover versus Matt Frivola, and then, of course, that main card that I told you guys about just a second ago. Goes, what did you think of Conor McGregor? Just kind of appealing himself, saddling up to WWE. He calls out WWE champ Roman Reigns, mentions SummerSlam. It's like, you know, I, I wake up to the, some of the stuff that happens overseas because he's an Irish fighter who's over there on that side of town a lot. And when he's in Vegas, he's a go-to-bed-at-4-a.m.-in-the-morning guy. But sometimes I wake up to his antics, you know, and I look at it, and he still makes me laugh. He still makes me giggle. I still get a kick out of him. But there is a point where I'm like, enough, 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 enough. When the fuck are you coming back to MMA? This reality mm -hmm. show is going to start with Chandler. There's nothing on the books as far as when you guys are going to fight. You guys are going to build it up. You're going to get us excited. But it's like, he might take on the winner of uh, Edwards versus Uzman. He might fight Mazarov. He beats Burns. He might fight Nate in the part three. He's ready for Jake Paul if need be. He, he faces off versus Mike Perry. He's everywhere but where he needs to be, and that's on a fight card versus Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler's starting to lose his patience, but I think Michael Chandler's right, reading the writing on the wall. He's even saying, look, I'm not going to blow up Dana and Hunter and keep asking him kind of like the, the jilted uh, girlfriend, or, or you know, the, 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 the that's just not getting attention, or whatever. I think he's starting to feel that, but there's just nothing on the books um, with Conor McGregor. But yet he's out there poking bears and 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 doing everything but committing to <laughs> a USADA be a fight. What? So that's my question: is what is the game that he's playing? Because if you think about it. He throws out this WWE thing that makes zero sense. And just last week, he was not just at BKFC, but like involved in BKFC, in the ring, getting in people's faces. Uh, I have to imagine if you're the UFC, you're probably not too happy with this, right? You know, if you, this is your biggest star. 
any time that this dude has, you want him promoting your product and promoting himself in your product because that's big dollar signs for you. So what is it that that Connor's doing? I'm not really sure because who knows? You know, like in boxing, pretty much every fight purse is negotiated at a time, right? And uh, in MMA, I think there are probably some fighters that can maybe do that. I want a new contract every couple fights, you know, even though they sign sometimes eight fight contracts. I don't know if he's trying to get more money out of the UFC or what the deal is, but he does have the reality show coming up. And I have to imagine there has to be some promotion for that, some stuff he's going to have to do. So I think that's going to be interesting when people interview him. We're going to be able to ask him these questions. And yeah, you could tell Michael Chandler's getting a little little frustrated too because how long does he want to sit around? You know, he's only getting older. And this was kind of like probably his sail off into the sunset fight. And now that might go away. For sure. He hasn't fought since November of 2022 which was the fight against Dustin Poirier. So it's been about half of a year now since he fought. He's well recovered from that fight. He just turned 37 in April. And so I'm sure what he'd like to know is, like, I don't think he wants to fight him on Saturday, but what he'd like to know is, when am I fighting him? You know, like, what, are we looking at August, September? Are we looking at a whole year? And even then, with this other guy entertaining everything but fighting and not getting in the USADA pool, what is going on? It's got to mm-hmm. be pretty frustrating. Um, and then this whole thing with Francis Ngannou. <laughs> I love free agency for fighters. I hope it benefits them and they can stick it to the game and get paid. I always root for the for that to happen to athletes. Um, I think it will happen with Francis. But, boy, this is one of the most complicated free agencies I've ever seen in my life. For sure. And to go back really quick to Connor, I'm thinking, okay, the reality show is going to come out and that's going to be weeks of these two talking about potentially fighting each other, right? Whose hand is that going to play into more though? Is that more pressure for Connor to actually make the fight or is it more pressure for the UFC to make the fight, right? We just, we just fed you, what is it? 10 weeks or something of of these guys going back and forth. And now we're not going to deliver on a fight. Or is it Connor? I don't think it's Connor because Connor's kind of ran away from fights before, you know. Well, I maybe wouldn't say ran away, but you know, everybody thought him and Nate were gonna dance a third time, and that just didn't happen. And he seems to be okay with it. So I'm wondering if maybe that's Connor's play is I need to put more pressure on these guys and uh and hope to get more money out of them, maybe. Connor's best play, in my opinion is the least talented fighter that can help him sell the most pay-per-views. Right. That's what I think at this point. That's been his recipe. He has the least prepared for. Like, Habib would be a nightmare, but he'd be a big payday. So would it be worth him to get in there and put his wrestling boots on and do a six-month camp and try and close the gap? Perhaps. He hates him. He knows it would sell well. He probably feels like if I can crack him, I steal everything that Habib has including the win over me and that, oh, that goose egg in the last column. So he might see that that way. Islam Makashev, he might look at, well, he's not Habib popular, and he's got Habib-style Habib fighting. Nah, I'm good. Poirier, he might just have to accept that the other guy can is, is just a sharper striker than him at this point and has his number, 
possibly, I don't know, maybe the ego won't let him do it. But, you know, there's there's probably some guys out there that I think he thinks, I think the way Nate fought against Ferguson and he slowed down, I think he might think that's the guy I want because that's a big payday. Right. And Nate does have great su submissions. He did submit me, but only because I went for the takedown. I was exhausted. So if I can come in shape and just throw hands, I might be able to win that trilogy, make a lot of money. You see what I'm saying? So it's I think like he cowboy fight on stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's the strategy of the cowboy fight, right? You look at guys like Oliveira. Hell no, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to get out grappled out there and look like a fool. Um, who else are we, are we looking at? Uh, Justin Gagey. I don't want to go out there and get knocked out like that. Like, there's really not that many options anymore for him. This is true. This is true. Um. Anyway, and as far as Ngannou goes, goes, what do you think is the latest with what you're hearing? Some people are saying he's headed to the PFL. One championship says they're out. BKFC says they're out. The UFC has stated that they're out, although we always feel like they're in. I think Bellator probably is out, personally. Boxing is still an option. I, I suppose PFL could still happen, and along with boxing. That would allow them to box and then come over and do some sort of a fight on their pay-per-view pay series, maybe. UFC is only a possibility, I think, if it, if they realize that it's too big of a fight versus him and John Jones in a stadium for them to not just swallow their pride and bring the big man back and give him either a ton of money or con concede something. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button just yet. Things are looking odd, but um, like I think it's I think it was Chael Sonnen. He's just burying him, and and I don't know that he's at that point yet. Um, because you know all it takes is just one big fight. Doesn't even really have to be a huge fight in boxing, but one fight is going to make up for all of that, right? And. I don't know. I just don't feel like one championship was a player at all. Um, I know he met with them, but I think he just wanted to push his limits with them and see what companies are willing to do or use that as leverage against another company. But I just don't think that was ever really there. And I think one championship kind of looked at that and felt that energy. And I think that's why Chaudhry, uh did what he did and kind of put that out like to kind of not help him in the negotiation by saying, we are completely out. This guy wanted too many things or whatever. Because he could have just said no and left it at that. But I, I think he realized what was going on. And, and I think he, he wanted to pay Francis back by eliminating one of the, the cards off of the table, right? And so uh, now Francis has got to go back. I, I have a feeling deep down inside he knows what he's going to do. And he's just trying to pull out every last cent or... um you know, little thing that he could throw into a contract, but I have a feeling he has something set now. Did you see where Chachi said that one of the things Francis wanted was the ability to dictate how much the guy that fights him makes? Mm -hmm. That is kind of a lot, isn't it? Like, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I get that he, he's his freedom is is a big deal for him. Which means, I guess, if I want to box, I want to box. If I want to do MMA, I want to do MMA. You can't tell me what I can or can't do. But the whole thing with fighter advocacy, a spot on the board, hmm, 
I don't know. Like part of part of me is impressed by him, maybe wanting to take that sort of a stance for the fighters. Mm-hmm. But remember, if you're on the board of one championship, I don't know that that's going to help many fighters other than the ones over at one championship. And I would say that if you wanted to take that sort of a lead in the UFCs, where that's where we're all looking for that, you know what I mean? An association or a union. The UFC is kind of what I think stirs the stirs the pot, moves the needle. Whatever happens there trickles to other organizations. They pick up on it or whatever. But um, it, I was impressed when he said, hey, look, I wanted to fight for the fighters in the UFC. And, and to that, I took it as, hey, look, we're going from Reebok to Venom, and this is how it looks. And that's where Francis comes in and goes, as a representative of the fighters, we would like a spot on the on the thigh of our shorts of the kit, or we would like this concession or whatever that I really thought was commendable. If, if that was exactly what he was looking for, or we're looking for all finishes to be bonus 50,000 or all finishes on pay-per-views, at least to be bonus 50,000, or how about a second or third uh, airline ticket and hotel room for my corner or international only two, only one international fight, in a row, and then I don't have to do it again because obviously when you fly international, it seems like you get nicked on the taxes. So little things like that where fighters are willing to do some stuff every once in a while but not get picked on and be punching bags. That I was starting to get behind if that exa- if that's exactly what he was trying to do. But he's no longer with the UFC, so to do that over at one, I don't know. I haven't heard the suffrage that fighters at one may or may not have. It's kind of unrealistic, some of the stuff, but um, I don't know. I guess I would throw it back at him, and if I was one championship, I'd say, okay, well, here is what we have allotted for this fight. You divide it up, and I'd be curious, you know, if it's $2 million, is now it's in Francis's court. You know, is Francis going to give his opponent a million, and he gets a million? Is Francis going to take 18 and give him uh uh two you know like i don't know that that's that'd be kind of interesting to kind of see where francis's mindset is um but uh yeah i mean that's just difficult you know like uh, how would you even get a fight done at that point you brought up Chael sonnen's name and he he basically has hinted that he's headed towards the pfl um I would be lying if I didn't also hear that rumor but at the same time i can't expand more than that just because we protect our sources, we, you know, we hear rumors from time to time, but at the same time, you just don't know what you're hearing. But we had heard something like that as well, almost probably what a month ago goes, three weeks ago. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's just that we felt like it wasn't anything that needed to be reported or anything like that. It, it sounded more like this is just kind of what I'm hearing type thing, but. We'll see. Maybe maybe he has already made his decision and this was just the final round of interviews or or whatever you call it, recruitment. Uh, and, and maybe the big man will have a decision soon. One last thing about Francis, and then we'll leave it alone. Could Francis, who lives in Las Vegas, request a meeting with Hunter and Dana and go, let's start over. I'm about to sign, but I'm not feeling 100% certain. I'm tucking my tail between my legs. What can we do here? Do you, you, think, do you think that even exists? 
or would Dana say, fuck off? Like, no, man, we're done. Like, it's over. What do you think? I think Dana would tell him to fuck off because um, right now, I'm not saying that wouldn't happen later, but right now, I mean, it also depends on what it is that he has dangling on the other side, right? If it's boxing and I'm Dana White, I say, go ahead, go to boxing, get knocked out by somebody, make a lot of money. But when you come back, are you still the baddest man on the planet? If you just got KO'd by Tyson Fury, you know, do I need to give you this kind of money? Maybe not, right? I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think we'll find something out, hopefully, within the next few weeks. I think this thing, at least, what I do feel good about is that it's winding down. Some of it has to do with the public outcry, or no, I guess I should see the revelations from some of the promoters in the game that they're just no longer in the business. So it seems like he just has less options. The boxing world is one I'm not familiar with. You know, Wilder, Fury, Joshua, you know, who who would fight him? What money's out there? And then you got these weird events that take place in Saudi, I, I should say the Middle East, whether it's Qatar, Saudi Arabia, wherever. I'm not familiar with all the different cities and, and countries. But when I say the Middle East, I think everyone's familiar with what I'm saying. The oil money that's out there, a lot of rich, you know, uh, what do we call them? Kings or royal, royal families. Yeah, that, that can just, for their own entertainment, put a bag out there for two guys to entertain. Uh, you know, I think Floyd, I don't know if Floyd ever did it, but wasn't he supposed to fight some guy on a skyscraper? And, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Just ridiculous yeah. stuff out there. I could see maybe some sort of a little pit stop exhibition, something like that, and then something involving MMA. Anyway, um, all right, guys. So just to go over some of the latest news, I mentioned Bryce Mitchell out. Did you see his shoulder? When he did the, mm -hmm. one of the countdowns, it was really purple, right? But that was yeah. an unusual shade of purple. It didn't look like an injury, and which now made that a bruise to me. And trust me, I know very little about the physiology of athletes and spotting injuries and scars and limps and this and that. But luckily, as I was scanning social media, a lot of people were saying, that what that looked like was some sort of a either a lotion or defense or so, something that's been applied to an area that might have some sort of a fungal um, irritation of the skin, I guess, and coming from um, his environment of farming, you know? So not staff from a gym or not ringworm from training or, or whatever, but something associate, associated with with, uh, I guess, you know, his personal life. And had you heard that and seen that? And, 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 and if not, what, what what do you think of what you saw with what happened with Rice Mitchell, with him now being out of his fight versus Mozart Evloev? I mean, to me, it, it looked like something torn. If you look at uh, Cody Rhodes in WWE, I believe he tore his pec, and it, it has that type of coloring to it um but i wouldn't be shocked if it was something like that you know in farming you probably carry a lot of things on your shoulder so i, I don't know hmm. i'll send you a pic though of cody rhodes and, and see if uh if you yeah. see what i'm talking about 
All right. Well, that's just I figured I'd throw it out there because when I read it, I go, okay, well that that kind of I guess could make sense, I suppose. Um, because it was just it was gnarly to see that. It, it was like purplish and pinkish. <laughs> I don't know, man. It was it, it felt like I was staring at a reflection of northern lights or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So, folks, let's throw a couple of last reminders here your way. Saturday night, our watch along with uh, myself and goes, and we're still trying to maybe have a guest fighter or notable with us at the Sticky Pod Studio, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, four fights on the prelims, and five fights on the pay-per-view. It'll be fun, man. Look, I know I've kind of dissed the card a little bit, but once you sit down in that chair, and once the parlays have been put out, once the drinks and the food start flowing, it don't get better than UFC fight nights, especially those pay-per-views. And we do have some quality fights. We just got to sift our way to get to them. It's not as stacked as some of the other cards, even just the Miami card that just took place, UFC 287. That definitely was a deeper card. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. But pretty historic. Each of these guys is trying to inch closer to maybe overtaking uh, Dominic Cruz as the greatest bantamweight ever. Can they get it done in this fight? Possibly. We don't know. We'll see what the results are. Both of them also teasing that, hey, I might win the fan and then move out to fight Volkanovski. Both guys are, you know, trying to make history with Sterling trying to become a champ champ and with uh, Triple C trying to become C4. So that, to me, makes it interesting. And, of course, Gilbert Burns and Valam Muhammad chasing down, trying to chase down Colby Covington and get that shot at Leon Edwards. The champ don't want Colby Covington. The UFC does. Fans and media, they're split. So one of these guys, if they can really put a stamp and an exclamation point on their performance, a great post-fight interview, stranger things have happened, especially if both guys are available and ready to fight. And guess what? That's what got on this fight because they were both ready and willing to fight. So maybe they can jump in there because when the UFC needs you, that's when they will definitely bend over backwards for you. All right, we're going to close with an interview that we did with Rich Franklin earlier this week. Rich A. Franklin, former middleweight champion in the UFC. He's a executive with one championship. So we're going to be referencing the card that's taking place tomorrow night, Cinco de Mayo, in Denver, Colorado, with Demetrius Johnson versus Adriano Marais. It's one uh, FC 10. It's their trilogy bout. They're one and one, and it could be Demetrius Johnson's last fight. So we're going to go a little bit down memory lane, talk about that card, and, uh, you know, what he's been up to as of late. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. We bow out at this point. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys on Saturday. Go out and be a champion. Take care, folks. What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the world of combat sports. He is a former UFC middleweight champion. He's a UFC Hall of Famer and now an exec for one championship. Don't forget, one championship coming your way. Cinco de Mayo, baby. It's this Friday with arguably the greatest of all time, Demetrius Johnson versus Adriano Marias at the top of the bill. If you are one of the 210 Amazon Prime subscribers, you need to get it because it's free and it's going to be a lot of action. Rich, welcome back to Junkie Radio. How are you, sir? Always good to be back here with you guys. Thank you. Yep. And 
We love having you on the show. We get to talk about some old stories, a current card, all your travels. Well, you had a quite a venture just getting here. Um, so you just flew in from Singapore, I take it, I, all the well, way. It was it was Bangkok. The event was in ba- the last event was in Bangkok okay. uh, a week and a half ago or whatever. And yeah, so it was actually on my way out there, uh, and I minimized my time on ground. So I was only actually in Bangkok for four and a half days because that's all I needed to be there for the event because we had this event coming up mm-hmm. uh, this coming Friday, December 5th. And so on my way out there, I missed my connection. I only had an hour and five minute connection in Istanbul Airport. And if you've ever been to Istanbul Airport, then it is the size of, it's its own city. Like it probably has its own municipal police or something. But I missed that connection and that gave me a 10 hour layover. So door to door, from my front door to my hotel room door was 41 and a half hours. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that's and and then you know because I got there later instead of being on the ground four and a half days I'm only there for like four days and then four days later I'm back on a plane and it's thirty three hours back home again so mm-hmm. you know over like a five day period I I had flown like seventy plus almost eighty hours so who was the turkey that made this you know one hour delay here in Istanbul to cut it so close that it's funny that you say that it's actually Turkish Airlines oh. That's the turkey that. that did it, yeah. Now, okay. our travel team booked it, but you would assume that they could book that under the pretense that- You're on business would, too, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the crazy thing. Like, I'm the first one. I'm li- I was literally the first person off the plane because mm. I knew that we landed late. And mm. well, I, we, I knew we took off late, but I didn't know. I mean, you can make that time up in the air. We took off like 15 minutes late. And when you're talking about double digit hour flights, like- Right. Making up 15 minutes is not difficult to do. True. And so when I got off the plane, I saw the, the board, and I'm like, last call already. And, uh, yeah, I got to make the mad sprint for, you know, I don't know, mm-hmm. three-quarter mile or something getting through this airport. So, yeah, I didn't have a chance. All right. Well, you have the conditioning and the cardio to shake off the jet lag and get ready for this massive event taking place in Colorado, mm. where the original UFC started, where we KFC just had a great show, one championship already sold out. Yeah, already sold out their event, and they they're coming in with heavy artillery, maybe their greatest trilogy ever. I don't know, but come on, Adriano Marias and DJ, those are some studs right there yes. mixing it up in the main event. This is gonna be a great one. A Cinco de Mayo, big fight day. Uh, Denver, Colorado. This has been a long time coming for one championship. So we're really, really excited about this show. I'm personally excited about this show because I was living in Singapore. I moved back to the U.S. to put a lot of effort into bringing the events to the U.S. And so this is the first one here, the trilogy, Adriana Marias, Demetrius. Two great fights between these two guys. They almost ended the, like picturesque, the, they identically knees to the head. DJ was down. Adriano technically wasn't, but he was against the cage. And so the, you know, the two finishing photos look almost the same. And mm-hmm. I, I like this matchup as a fan, you know, mm-hmm. Demetrius also is, I don't know if you guys, he's teased possibly retirement possibly after retirement. this. So, you know, as a fan, like both of Adriano, I was, I was actually at the organization when Adriano won his title to begin with. And I, I, of course, I've, I've trained with G, DJ on the mat while I was competing. Uh, you know? creation? Um, yeah. AOC, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How long were you there, by the way? Uh, well, I, I started working uh, with them after uh, after my first Anderson Silva loss. And mm-hmm. I was just, you know, I had my coaching staff in Cincinnati, and I wasn't, I didn't want to abandon my coaching staff because we were doing a lot of the right things. But being in Cincinnati, we were also isolated from the rest of the MMA world. So I wanted to get an outside look at what I had going on in my camp. So yeah, I started from that point on. Pretty much worked worked with Pancreas. You left there. the cold for the rain. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the thing I was, it's funny, I was just talking to, you remember, you know, Monty Cox. Mm-hmm. So I was just talking to Monty. Street fighting champion. Yeah, he's he's writing a book and, and I, I've been talking to him the last couple of weeks and we were talking about me going up there to um, AMC and when he had recommended that me training up there, I'm like, oh man, it's such a trek from Cincinnati. Like, it's not like one of those places where you can just take like a nice little weekend, like training mm-hmm. trip. It's, you know, you're fully committed on that like five and a half, six hour flight to get up there. So... So yeah, that was a that was a big commitment. But no, I worked with DJ back in the day then, and and it's been awesome to see him, obviously in his career develop and become the goat. He's amazing, and but Adriano is one of the best, you know, champs in our organization. Sure. Had the most accolades before DJ had defeated him, and he also defeated DJ. So this trilogy between the two of them, I, like stylistically, the way that they match up, I like this. Adriano has good reach and he has great footwork. He utilized it in the first match. He actually utilized it really well in the second second match. It took DJ some time to solve that puzzle. That wasn't a, a really easy victory for him. And I think the uh, the elbow that DJ landed in the second round really changed the tone of the fight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he cut. He, he was on the bottom in the guard when after they hit the ground, and uh, he cut Adriano and, and you know opened him up. And I think that kind of Change change the dynamic a little bit. Goes. I know you're chomping at the bit, but let me just get one real follow up real quick. Yeah. What was DJ like back when you knew him? Give us an early DJ story, or just what what his skill set was like, and how it matured to what it is. Where this guy can do everything at a high level: a knee, a punch, grappling, um, a takedown to armbar midair. You know, like it, it, he's literally a fascinating individual uh, as, a, as a mixed martial artist yeah i mean people just don't become amazing suddenly right this is stuff that takes time and so when you know when i was grappling with dj when i was on the top of the mountain at that time like i mean he was he was amazing and you knew that he was it was his time to shine was still to come and granted the size difference between the two of us is it's not like we're just squaring off and doing a bunch of sparring that way that is not neither beneficial to me or him because mm-hmm. even if he can give me a hard way to go it's not going to give me the look I need for whoever it is that I'm fighting anyway. But there are certain drills that you can do. And I can, I remember this one day specifically, I had been on the mats training for some time and uh, we were doing guard drills. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. We, I mean, we've all been on the mat for several hours and then so they, they put DJ in my guard and, and it was an open guard thing. And man, he's, he, like, it was just like, uh, he's like, it was like that 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 line from Talladega Nights, like man, he's like spired monkey, just kind of, you know doesn't quit moving. I mean, he just chain chain movements and and guard passing, and I it was just like I could not. I was trying to get a hold of him just so I could just like squeeze him and, and just like close my guard just to get him to stop so I could breathe for a minute. And you know, one of those like last rounds that we were doing, and right. so you just knew, like I knew at that time, like his his time was coming, and of course it came. You, you know, George and I in doing this show for so long. We come across matchups every week. Every week they're shuffling them. But this one stands out. And it stands out for one reason for me is if you were to break it down and go through all the different scenarios of how this could end, they all kind of make sense. That's how good both fighters are. If we were to wake up and say, DJ submitted him, you'd go, yeah, that makes sense. If if you woke up and you heard Rice uh, knocked him out, that makes sense too. There's so many things that can happen in this fight. Where do you think it, it falls in the landscape of greatest fight ever to be put on by one championship? Well, I'll just comment on what you said. You know, as part of the commentary team, my job is to come up with, like, keys to victory, right? Mm -hmm. So when the athletes walk out, like, you'll hear me give what I think their keys to victory are. And it's quite difficult (laughs) in some of these matchups because it's like, well, I mean, you know, 
it's like, well, he may not have to secure a takedown in order to win, or he, you know, it's like, well, what is his key to victory? Well, it's like, well, if he wants to continue, like, if if Adriano wants to keep it standing, for example, use that long jab, use that footwork, use that in and out movement, right? And and so there is a, a a recipe for him to win that from a standing position, but obviously, like you know, he's got a lot of size on on DJ. So if he wanted to pursue the takedown, then you know, it's like, okay, well, use that long jab, bait him in. DJ has to cover a lot of distance, and then you know, once he explodes forward with his movement, because we saw that in the first two fights, like you can secure the takedown. Like, so there, depending on what strategy you decide to implement as a camp is, or what your plan A, plan B is, is what my keys to victory are. But, you know, I, I got to reduce these to like three, three keys to victory in essence. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, it can be, you know, quite difficult to do. I, I think that, you know, as far as like fights go, this is probably, you know, one of the greatest fights that we've done. I, I, we've had it's other trilogies. There. I'm trying to think of what other trilogies that we've had, but I mean, even still, I think like this, this one, one another one that comes to mind would be like Angela Lee and Zhang Jingnan. Yeah, yeah, Zhang Jingnan is another good one. Um, or even even the um, the uh, Ad, the Adam Wake Grand Prix winner. When uh, I think it was Stamp, when Stamp fought Angela, you know, she had to go through a lot to get there, and then Angela, of course, had her baby and was absent for over a year from year and a half or whatever it was from competition, but she was a long time out. Right. And it takes a lot to bounce back from that. And I had spoken to Angela on my podcast, um, you know, because as men, I don't know what it's like to give birth and then try to compete after that. You know, I I remember interviewing Bethany Hamilton and, and, uh, and she was like talking about how she was surfing and, um, and like breastfeeding in between heats of a surfing event. And I'm just oh, like, wow. it's amazing that you're able to do that because you know, that just takes the, literally the baby is pulling life force out of you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, it can't be easy for someone like Angela to, you know, give birth and then bounce back and fight the top competitor of a group of eight hungry women. Like you're fighting the beast, right? And so, you know, that, that was an, another great matchup that, that the organization put on. So there's, there's been a few, but this one definitely ranks up at the top as well. I did want to ask you about training. We learned, we learned a lot of lessons from you guys. One lesson we learned from you in particular was one day on an interview with you, you explained to us, you said, guys, you don't know what it's like to run in the snow in Cincinnati, how much that sucks yeah. and how much being away from family sometimes in this particular case, one thing that these guys have to deal with is altitude, right? Mm. That can kill fighters sometimes. Uh, I know DJ's been out there. He's been working as much as he can. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how that can, fa- can factor into this fight? Yeah, and Adriana has been out there as well. Mm-hmm. So if, I mean, if both athletes go out there and acclimate, then it should not be a factor in essence. And I, I don't know which of our, our roster has arrived early and which have not, but it will, it will become a factor for those who haven't arrived. I, m- I remember the first time that I traveled to Denver the first time that I'd ever experienced altitude in my life because Cincinnati sits at like 400 feet elevation. You know, obviously Denver, Mile High Stadium, we're sitting at a base level of 5,000. And once you start hiking up mountains from there, it only gets higher, right? And I just, I remember I was like hiking up this mountain. I'm walking up the mountain and I'm, I'm like, I'm out of breath. I'm like, oh, man, I'm in better shape than this. Like, what the heck is wrong with me? And I had not accounted for the altitude. And then the you know, from there, the first time that I traveled to Salt Lake City, I know you guys remember Jeremy Horn uh-huh. did, did a lot of work with Jeremy Horn and we, I was in Salt Lake and the altitude there, I think is like between four and 4,500, not too terribly high really, but man, you start, you know, hitting that go button and, and trying to, you know, grapple it like 
peak levels, and it can be can be quite quite difficult when everybody else is used to going at with with that reduced oxygen. Which is why in my career there was a part of time where I actually purchased uh, uh, an, an altitude tent so that I could sleep with hypoxic air. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Komaro Usman and Leon Edwards fought in Salt Lake. They mm-hmm. definitely said they felt it. Rockhold felt it. Rockhold yeah. felt it against Paulo Costa. And the bare knuckle guys were there just this past weekend. Ben Rothwell, remember him? Yep. He was there a month. He said, I didn't want to take any chances. Absolutely. I needed to make sure the air, the air quality, because if you'll recall, when Kane Velasquez fought Fabricio Verdum, Kane went two weeks out, and he only wanted to go one week out, but they insisted, and he goes, I'll go two. Verdun was there two months. Yeah. He says it's air quality. He goes, it's the altitude. It's the food. It's the water. You know, so the longer you're there, the better. I'll, I'll be curious to find out who's been there longer between DJ and Adriano, and because that might that might make a difference. Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know who arrived first, but I know they've both been on scene for quite some time. But I'll say this to that point, you know, when I was competing, uh, even if I fought in Vegas, for example, out here mm-hmm. where the you have the dry desert air, I, I would always like to to get out here as early as possible, and I didn't do it every single camp, but. I would I would try to arrive certain days because certain days ahead of time, just so I could acclimate to this dry air. Because like, if you're not used to being from here, and, and you probably have friends that have talked about this. Like, you'll wake up and like your nose will be like almost bleeding yes. from it being so dry, and so it just takes some time for the body to acclimate to that. That's funny. You mentioned that our our mom is actually she's visiting and she's suffering nosebleeds for the exact same reason. So, I, yeah. I, I do want to ask you something though. So both guys have a win over each other, right? What about the momentum? Do you feel like DJ maybe carries a little bit more momentum because he was the last one to get the victory? I, I can make a ca- I can make a case for both guys. Really, I could. Um, I, you know, that always helps that DJ was, you know, since he he won the last one, he was able to like he carries the momentum. But on the other hand, if you go back and watch the first couple rounds of the second match mm-hmm. and look at look at uh, Marias's footwork, and I'll be talking about some of this on on commentary. As well, but like when I watch his footwork, like he was still controlling that range really well and giving like it was difficult for DJ to to like hone in on him. And given the height difference, like DJ has to make these bigger and bigger commitments. And that's what happened. Like he started making these bigger commitments in the first fight, and then he ended up getting caught as he as he came in to close like like you know tried tried to close a a combination, and then Adriano caught him. And so, but you you see this in the second match. But however, when he he finally caught Adriano the second time, he was real calculated on his movement in that time. So, you know, it's like Adriano could go into that with the confidence, like I can make some micro adjustments here, and 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 focus on that, and uh, you know, unfold that kind of game plan. Whereas DJ, on the other hand, is like you know, you, know, you don't. You don't you don't you don't get to that level without not knowing how to bring some new changes to the game or whatever. So I could make an argument both ways that both of these guys could have kind of some momentum mentally in their head. In the Coleman event, we have Rod Tang Jit Munyang. He's gonna be fighting Edgar Tavares. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that fight? We saw DJ against Rod Tang in that hybrid fight, which was excellent. I don't know whose idea that was. Yeah. But that guy should get a bonus. Um, the you know where they started off with Muay Thai and MMA, yeah. I loved that matchup. DJ, I really thought he wouldn't want to mix it up as much and just get to the MMA. He wanted to mix it up. That guy is not scared of anything. 
Yeah. Shame you might retire, by the way. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, yeah we can talk what about, about that. What about this coming? Well, back to the uh, the DJ and uh, the DJ Raw Tang match. Like, I thought the same thing when I was watching the match. Like, he was just not uh, hesitant about standing there and kind of starting to trade with him. And I'm thinking, like, what are you doing, man? Just, exactly. Just get at least get through these first three minutes. And, and you know, if, if you don't finish it in the MMA round and you want to play for the second three, okay, perhaps. But... But yeah, he was he was not shy, and and that's Rod Tang's not a guy you want to do that with. Hell I mean, no. you guys you guys have seen him, and he's and he's tough too, right? I mean, Rod Tang is the, the beautiful thing about Rod Tang as a fighter is that he is he looks like he's just savage, you know. He'll he'll let you hit him in the chin, and and they call me Iron Man for a reason. But then you see other matches where he's just completely untouchable, and he's very calculated, he's very precise. And very clean technique. He's not just someone who has a chin and just walks through a lot of damage. Sometimes he'll do that. And so the U.S. audience had been introduced to him uh, a couple years ago when he was. They were exposed to the Rod Tang versus uh, Daniel Williams matchup, which was a great matchup. But Rod Tang definitely controlled that from start to finish. But Edgar Tabarez is a very accomplished athlete. He's coming in from from Mexico, so big Cinco de Mayo shout out on him. And and li listening to some of the things he says about Rod Tang, he's talking about how calculated raw tang is like he doesn't he knows that raw tang is tough and he can't just you know basically what he said is like mexican fighters are known for that mentality of just coming forward and just you know continuing to press 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 and walk through the storm and take a little bit of damage to give a little bit of damage and he said like you know i got to be more calculated than that with a guy like raw tang because oh, yeah. it's precise yeah well not only is he precise but he also has a chin of granite so it's like almost like playing Russian roulette with a system like that. So, you know, he knows he has to be a bit more calculated. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see what game plan he brings to it. And and uh, it's, that's going to be a fun one to watch. Here's the one that I think is going to steal the show. Stamp Fairtex against Elise Anderson. Elise used to train a little bit at Extreme mm -hmm. Couture. She is really, really good on the ground. Really tricky, man. I know. But Stamp, of course, we know is an amazing striker. Um at this point, I don't even like hearing or saying it's the traditional grappler versus strike. They're all pretty well-rounded now, you know what I mean? And so now I believe it's whose deficiency is stronger than the others because we know their strengths. Yeah. So can Stamp hang with Elise on the ground? Can Elise stand with Stamp? You know, I get th th those are the questions that I like to figure out. Well, I'll just I'll say this. I mean, obviously, this is that classic on paper striker versus grappler matchup. I, I don't like hearing that. Yeah, I know, but it's, did, that's, that's what I said. It's, it's, I it's on paper. I well, the fiend. Listen. What's going on over here? You got to let me finish, man. Okay, you know, right, right. like I, this is your show, but it's rude to cut people <laughs> off, right? Even though you're wearing pink. He's got pink underwear on, though. He showed me. Yeah. Yes, I, I did see the pink underwear. So, um, no, but uh, th the thing about Stamp is when you look at some of Stamp's matches, like uh, the Ross Union matchup, she had, th there was a rematch there between the two of them. And the first one she tapped and was like, I didn't tap. And, you know, that's not part of this discussion. But then she came back in the second time and ended up beating her and engaged with her on the ground and was happy to do so. Uh, ended up on the ground with Rito F um, Fogat. And was you know like con controlling that matchup on the ground. So I have this sneaking suspicion actually that I, I obviously the path of least resistance for Stamp to win this is keeping it standing, mm -hmm. you know clearly. But I don't I don't think she's going to be shy about going to the ground with Elise. Now whether or not that's the smartest decision, we've seen mm -hmm. Stamp just leaps and bounds and improve right. in her grappling. But you know Elise is on on a different level on the ground. And uh, and she does the thing about Elise is she does a good job actually fighting when she's damaged. Like um, I can't remember which which opponent it was, but she got dropped and then was able to lock that triangle on uh, in the first round of, of that match. That's so tough. she's like, yeah, she's a tough, 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 tough competitor as well. So 
yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because I just I have this suspicion that Stamp is not going to shy away from the groundwork with her. One is loaded with a lot of talented females at 115 mm -hmm. in that area. That Grand Prix you guys had was awesome. I'm a fan of Denise. I think she could be a star. I forget how to pronounce the last name. Zambuanga. The, the Filipino yeah, lady. Yeah, she just fought. The, oh, my God, yeah. yeah I really America. like her. Um, Elise, Zhang Jinan, Angela, Stamp, really, really a lot of talent. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that matchup for sure. Yeah. Um, we got Roberto Soldic. Didn't get to do the debut. This is the debut coming over from KSW. We got Sage Northcutt after four years. Can you talk yep. about those fights and what people should look for uh, with those guys? Well, we're familiar with Sage, but maybe start with Roberto. Please. Yeah, I mean, so Soldich was the biggest free agent signing to MMA in recent years, and and he came into one and technically debuted, but was fouled. In that's it, right, with, yeah. That's yeah, with the groin <laughs> shot. So we really, I don't know, what did we get to see, like 55 seconds of him or something like that, and he couldn't continue. And obviously that would be disappointing to him, but you know he comes in with, with high accolades, and you watch this guy, and he – on film, he lives up to all the hype. And so it's going to be interesting matchup with him and Katastam, who is our former welterweight champ. Welterweight, I think. Yeah, welterweight yep. champ. And um, and I like Katastam's style. It's funny. Like, you know, I've always kind of thought of Katastam as a as a, a, a grappler somewhat, but he's really like a Muay Thai guy. And so, you know, this, this will be an interesting matchup because Soldic is very explosive on the feet. Um, and, you know, Croatia, but even like the, his look and his style is somewhat mimics a, a Mirko Crow Crop style. And, you know, once he pulls the trigger on that leg, like it's just devastation follows typically. But Katastam has this like kind of metronome pace to himself and and uh, is capable of, of uh, you know, pulling off these victories and close quarter elbows and things of that nature. So this is this is going to be a, f a fun matchup to watch because Katastam's tough too. So even if Soldic is you know, lives up to the hype and is able to start control this match the way that most people might predict he would. I don't think Kadastan is going away very quickly either. And so, you know, he'll be there in the later rounds and you got to be careful about that. That's going to be a fun fight to watch. Yeah. Um, Sage, four years since Cosmo Alexander finished him, broke some bones in the face. Yeah. Is this more of just a mental and psychological comeback versus the physical? I mean, the guy's always in shape, but. Yeah. Four years. What was there? Just a, more follow-up surgeries that happened behind the scenes. Do you know why there was such a long delay here? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what surgeries he had to have, like post the initial work. I, I know that when when uh, I, I went to see Sage in the hospital, just to you know, like I, I'd met Sage before. We weren't great friends or anything, but I just wanted to stop in and you know, because I've been in that situation. That's tremendous that you did that. Ah, it's not. It's it's not really. I, mean, I appreciate that, but it's like. It's the human thing to do. Well, a lot yeah. of fighters get in that ambulance, go, and that's it. Like, everyone yeah. else is at the party or at the this or at the that. Yeah. And uh, I, I've heard stories about some even just kind of getting left behind. But for an official to go in and check on them, that's yeah. tremendous. I'm not much of a partier anyway, but with, with that that particular shot, like, um, you know, him transitioning it over and everything, and, and, and it was a you know pretty, like, pretty devastating shot that sure. you know like the, the injuries were fairly severe Cosmo's it was no joke man yeah mm -hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't like i don't know he just broke an arm and had to get casted or something you know and, and he's gonna in and out so he spent some time there so i stopped in um but i don't know what follow-ups he had to have i'm not sure of the the medical procedures and whatnot that followed but with that like yeah i would imagine some of this is is a bit of a mental exercise for him i know that like after i lost my my match to anderson silva i was a little gun shy in that first match back 
until I got hit in the face one time. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it feels like. Even though, even though I had sparred and you know been hit a couple times sparring, but still, it's mm -hmm. just like I can remember when I was I was like slipping and I was over compensating on my slips, like slipping way far too far outside of the punch. And you know that that's extra time. Like if you slip three extra inches outside the punch, it's time. In milliseconds matter in, in fights and so th these are big deals so i can just remember like moving my head all over the place and finally like midway through that that round i started settling in i think that was my jason mcdonald matchup so yeah some of that will be uh a bit of a mental exercise for him but this is not an, an easy matchup much like the jason mcdonald matchup was not an easy matchup either that guy's a killer mm -hmm. and so you know he's coming back this mustaba that he's he's competing against like this mm -hmm. guy is he's um he's legit as well and so this this will be a this is gonna be a fun one to watch and Sage obviously like he's an amazing like amazing athlete you see this guy what he can do acrobatically and everything so you know if he if he performs the way that he can and should and, and gets his head moving and puts his combinations together this will this will be a good match to watch because Mushaba's a tough tough guy can he dunk a basketball now George do you remember if we gave him that challenge it was getting close right I think so. I think I think Sage would probably do better. He probably would. It would be easier for him to do like a like a spin kick dunk with his foot <laughs> than to actually jump up and touch it with his hand. Like I'm not kidding. Yeah. He's gonna do some sort of aerial twist dunk with his feet. Mm. I'm gonna blow you away right now. Guess who can dunk that you would never think can dunk? You. <laughs> I guess I set myself up for that one. Roy Nelson. Really? Yeah. Roy Nelson can dunk. You know what? I mean, in a weird way, it doesn't it doesn't shock me. Yeah, yeah, because he's only about six feet, you know. But he's a pretty good athlete, and he can yeah. dunk a basketball. Well, it's like, it's like uh, my Monty Cox was my manager, and we we went, we we just talked about this story the other day. We went to play a basketball one day, and Monty like you know, he he played ball like and he's from Indiana, and so and he, I knew he was a decent player, but man, we got out like he hadn't picked up a ball in probably a decade or something, and and he was out of shape and everything. He ended up pulling a calf that day, so it, mm. it made for an even funnier story. But I think he pulled the calf after he probably, I don't know, sunk like 15 three-pointers in a row or something. Wow. We played a game of two on two. Shot, huh? Yeah, it was like it was like him and Jens Pulver versus me and uh, Kerry Shaw, one of my training partners at the time. Yeah, The meat truck or something? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember yeah. Yeah. Nice, all right. Um, here's a couple more studs on the card. You guys really, really stacked this card. Dude, I'm telling you, man, Ong this card. Song, yeah. former Ong La. Uh, two division champ, mm -hmm. fighting from Myanmar. Myanmar, right? Did I yeah, say that right? Yeah, he's yeah, Myanmar. Holy but cow, that country, by the way, is going through a lot. Mm -hmm. Follow, they, follow on 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 the support that he's had for his people. He's beloved over there. Yeah. Um, and RDR, I call him Rainer De Ritter. He's also fighting on the card. But can you talk about these matchups? Yeah, no. Um, uh, Ong Law's fighting Fan Rong, and you know both these guys are. are I, look, I've known Ong for a long time, and he's uh, he's tough. Like he's resilient, and they're and F Fan Rong. They're they're both really well rounded MMA athletes, you know. And, but this I, for me, this is about. They both have a similar skill set, and uh, you know you can get into who's better at what and. Um, but this is really about coming into this match and just impo imposing your will because like the the Adriano and Demetrius Johnson match, like this is one where you, I could see like, oh, well, you know, Ong Law won by knockout or, you know, Fan Rong won by decision or whatever. Like I could, you know, really see this going either way based on their skill sets. And um, no, the, the the RDR matchup, Rainier versus... He's something else on the ground, man. Yeah. And, Holy and, cow. Well, and this is a, gra it's a grappling match against yeah. Ty Rotolo. And I'm interested in watching this because one of the things I haven't seen a ton on is the fact that that RDR grappled um, Andre Gaval, and I heard that, about that. yeah, that was an, that was an interesting match uh, for us, and did did a great like did a great job 
grappling Andre on Andre's terms, basically. And there was a lot of talk at that time. Like RDR was like, hey, I, I came to your world and did your thing, so why don't you come to mine and let's do an MMA match together. But Which he's done before. Yeah, exactly. Up, so. so, yeah, so it's... Uh, fair, that's a fair. Exactly. And I, I'm like, I'll watch that. Like, I want to watch that as a fan, but... Uh, he's he's grappling Ty Rotolo, which is you know the the Rotolo brothers and Cade is is one of our champions right now. But they they both come from um, Andre's school, so it's it's Andre's protege that now RDR is grappling, and so mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to to watch how this one unfolds. Um, that that's what has me intrigued about that matchup. So I know we're getting ready to wrap here soon, but I did want to ask you a question about your your position here with one championship. So. Anybody that has been to a one championship overseas, it's a huge event, okay? Yeah. Coming Very here to the United beat. States, things are a little bit different, right? And I have to imagine they probably leaned on you, uh, Rich, what do you, you know, you've been a part of so many uh, events here in the United States. What's one way we can kind of grab this audience and hold on to them? Really just make that great first impression. What do you think are some of those intangibles that American fans are going to fall in love with with well, one championship? Honestly, I don't I don't think they needed to lean on me for that because the events that we've put on are resonating well with the U.S. audience. You know, we have like we've talked about Stamp and Rod Tang. We have overseas athletes that that are transcending cross border to the U U.S. with their their fan base, and we've always put on a great show. And I think that that's that's the secret sauce. Is if you come to a one championship event live and you see the huge LED screen and the ramp walkout and the customized computerization that we do with the with the entrance and the music and the graphics. And, and then, of course, you, you mix that with the fact that you're not just watching MMA, you're watching Muay Thai and kickboxing and, and grappling, and we sprinkle a little bit of that in there. And in the Muay Thai that you're watching, it's in four-ounce gloves. Then you have the rule set differences. Knees and kicks. Yeah. The judging. The judging, judging over yeah. 25 or 15, right? Yeah. And so, the, you know, the, the, the judging as a, as a whole makes a big difference. The way that we score the matches, which just pushes the fighters for looking for finishes, and that's part of the reason why we have such a high finishing rate. So when you start combining all these things together, along with, and I'll say this, and this kind of like, I don't know, maybe this is just me plugging our hydration protocol. Like I'm a big fan of that. And I believe that, I really believe that the hydration protocol helps these athletes output at a higher percentage than when you're sucking yourself down like I did in my career. And I, all these things, they little by little, they make differences. And when you watch an event like this, the, the people that come to first bank to see this are going to they're going to be wowed because you know you, you always say from an entertainment perspective this is like going to a rock concert meshed with a sporting event for sure yeah, the so hydration I, system i subscribe to it too we just had geronta davis versus ryan garcia mm -hmm. and i think that hydration may have slowed down garcia as well sure. not to make an excuse because that dude davis can punch i don't know if he saw the big boxing match yeah I, I didn't watch the whole match i saw but some he had of the, clauses the regarding yeah. hydration as well and um, you could only hydrate to a certain amount. I know you guys have a different one where this is throughout the camp. The fighter has to keep a certain amount of hydration in their body so that they don't do the, the depletion, right? Yeah. The, the, the water loss. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we don't really do anything. I don't, I don't want to misrepresent our system. We don't do anything during the camp as much because all the dehydration comes like in the last week in mm -hmm. essence anyway. Like when I was when I was competing, I would start water loading um, about two weeks before my weigh-in, mm -hmm. and I would water load three gallons of water a day, and then and then you you know you end up stripping it out during the week of the event, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know we're we're there on the week of the event to test weight, to test our hydration. We test our hydration and weight before the before the fight, and then we also test hydration and weight after the fight to uh, make sure there's not like significant weight gains. And so that's the way that the system is intended. So you're intended to walk around at your natural weight 
which I would absolutely love because weight cutting itself becomes its it becomes its own event. Like yeah. I, during fight week, like cutting weight was as stressful, if not more stressful, for me than the fight itself. It's like you know you're just going to cost the card too, right? Like cost the fight. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going into most of my issues. fights. I'm going to most of my fights thinking like I'm going to win this fight anyway, but man, damn, sitting in this sauna for two hours mm-hmm. off and on, like, that sucks. That's why those 205 fights you had probably were oh, man. welcomed. You, yeah. know? you had a few of those, right? Yeah. I mean, and you in a 195, I think? Yeah, there, there was a couple of them. Like, after after uh, after I lost to Silva the second time, and then I had a uh, Travis Luter fight at 185, and then it was clear that they weren't going to give me a, a rubber match because I hadn't won one, so... At that point, I was like kind of a Ronin, just looking, you know. And so I was like, "Well, let's move back to 205." And then they needed some catchweight fights for, and so I just kind of ended up fighting like bigger name people. But at two at 205, it was nice on the cutting side of things, except for, for example, when I fought Forrest, you know, I, I what did I That's cut? The Mandalay Bay. Yeah, I cut I cut like four pounds, and he cut oh. like forty. So nice. you know, I could I could remember looking at him like when we faced off at the weigh-ins and we were about the same size. And I swear, when you rehydrate, like your spine even like lengthens or something. Like the the compression of the spine with the the cartilage, you have you have more water in those things. Because I just remember looking at him in the, the octagon and I was like, holy crap! Like this guy's got three inches taller overnight. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we brought up your name the other day, and we may have asked you this before, but just a little clarification: in the Liddell fight, before you knocked him out, if you make it to the corner, would they have stopped the fight because of the broken bone? Or do you think, were they even aware? And would you have been able to go, I'm okay, I'm okay? Or how bad was it, the fracture? Well, it was, it was the ulna, so it was the smaller bone. I, I always make a joke because people are like, man, you're so tough fighting with a broken arm. I'm like, well, technically, I still had one bone that wasn't broken in my arm, which was the radius, but the smaller bone in the arm was broken. It was clean break all the way through. And so when I when I got the, um, this cord keeps getting stuck. When I got the when I got the X-ray done after the the fight, like the doctor said, well, we can try casting this and take a risk on it just healing on its own, but the break is so bad that if it doesn't heal properly, then we're going to have like wait six weeks and have to re-break the arm and put a, a rod in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll risk it. So and it, fortunately, it healed properly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, the the break was there. I don't I don't think they were even aware of it. Other than the, if you knew me, you could see me a couple times in the match, like kind of shake my hand out, right. and like my boxing coach Rob knew right away. He's like, yeah. Rob and Neil both like yeah, his his arms broken, and so when I came back, I I I would have fully intended on getting off that stool and just continuing to fight because in that round there there was nothing stopping me and that's when joe asked me i don't think anybody knew so i don't think they would have known that it was broken and besides it wasn't like my arm was flopping around so Mm -hmm. if you break a finger they have no reason to stop a match over a broken finger right like Mm -hmm. so like i said i still have it came up in a fight recently and it just reminded me of it yeah so no i would have gotten off stool but i will say this there is a video on youtube of them removing the glove or the, the the tape from this hand 15 minutes after the fight when there is no adrenaline Agony. <laughs> Lord of mercy. I made a joke. The doctor's like, you might want to sit down. And I was like, because I just won, you know. So I'm like, I'm high on adrenaline. And I'm like, I was like, Doc, it's my it's my arm, not my leg. Like, my legs are fine. I can stand here. And then so he, he starts cutting. And they, they they couldn't get through the tape. They had dull scissors. And, I mean, I'm, I'm like, gritting this out. And, and my coach was standing there, like, trying to stabilize my bones. Because like, you, you could feel the, bo- the bones were, like, just doing this. Eesh. Yeah, it was bad. And, uh out. Yeah, and so uh, so anyway, long story short, um, I, I looked at the doctor. I was like, I was like, okay, yeah. 
let me just sit down a second because <laughs> they had to cut this thing off. So I think I would have been able to survive a minute and keep that adrenaline going and, and been fine for the second round. But I will say this, though. There was one point where when Chuck took me down, I tried to post to get up, and, and, and my arm kind of like – gave way on me and so i had to go to the other side and wow in getting up left my nose exposed my, my neck exposed and yeah i was like there's a couple couple parts in that fight so you know who knows i was just i was glad to get the the, the knockout right as that 10 second call came after this i'm getting lunch i'm gonna rewatch that fight now that i know all this intel what are you ordering intel? for lunch again chili dogs yeah. chili dogs chili dogs <laughs> i thought i thought we, right, folks, thought we said something about egg whites fight night 10 johnson versus mariah's three it's this friday 8 p.m eastern Great fights, including this main event with Demetrius Johnson and Adrian Marias. Our guest, Rich Franklin, Rich, uh, executive for One Championship. He'll be on the call. And thank you so much for stopping by MMA Junkie Radio. We always appreciate you. Always good to be on the show with you guys. Thank All you, right, sir. folks, with that, we're out. Glad to be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.